Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Board Game Barbarians. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I have my Board Game Barbarian brother, Justin, here with me to talk about another episode of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I'm, I'm not there with you. I'm, I'm there with you You're in, with in me. spirit. Yes. Well, I and guess you're... also if you count that big giant doll that you made look like me, but I don't really hey, like. I just talking printed out a picture it. of you to put on out. the doll. Right. It's well, weird. You know, you're wearing pants. <laughs> I don't know why you're upset. Not always. <laughs> hi, hello, uh, Andrew. We're here. Hi. So uh, I do want to mention a couple things real quick just before we get started. It's not a whole lot to mention just because we're all still stuck in our homes. So yeah, that's a thing. Uh, but go listen to Retro Warriors, which is Justin's other show. Yeah! Uh, to listen to, or if you're interested in classic video games, uh, him and our buddy Saturn do get down on talking about some classic video games. Yeah, we don't ever really talk about my show on this show, like ever. Yeah, I realized that, <laughs> and I started, I was like, I need to, I need to do that. Um, you can also uh, find both of us again on a different show where we talk about literally nothing, um on a patreon exclusive show called talking wizards so if you do like retro warriors and want to support that you can go listen to or if you just like us talking i love talking wizards it's it's my smooth sound of our voices talking wizards is i've said it a million times it's my favorite show to record it's just the funnest dumbest thing most loose no notes i mean we write notes but we don't show we don't share them they're secret notes yeah it's heavily scripted but we'll never admit it Right. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you can also find me on the Retro Warriors free Patreon show, Cinema Rogues, where we talk about movies uh, with a couple other Retro Warriors people. Yeah. Um, Justin and I are also planning on and have been working on uh, running a first edition D&D module called The Cult of the Reptile God, which we will be releasing on this show. We're still... working on some details and iron those out but once we get those all banged out we will uh we'll have some some content for now you you've, now you promised it it's out in the world oh it's no a thing now wow oh, I, I feel mean, all already, this pressure now you've already prepared a lot of it so. i prepared most of the module and then we didn't play and then i kind of forgot it so i got to re-prepare it but oh, okay. uh i'm excited for it. it'll be fun i've like in my head i prepared it and now i've already moved on to looking at other modules so now i'm already kind of like looking at other stuff like oh let's do this now but uh oh, i think so, we'll stick so with cult of the reptile it's the god. whole meme of like you and cult of the reptile god walking and then you're looking at other right modules and then behind me it. i see tomb of horrors and i'm like that'd yeah. be fun too like I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so i don't really have much this week i did get the board game humble bundle that was out last month um, haven't played any of it, but I redeemed it, so that counts. You did it. <laughs> um, Alter Quest is supposed to come this month if COVID nineteen didn't happen, so uh, I think they said it's going to be pushed back until August. Uh, crossing my fingers, it doesn't get double pushed back to not August. Not yeah, not shocking. I mean, we talked a, a yeah. few episodes ago about how we're we're kind of expecting this to ripple through the board game space, which is already kind of glacial to begin with. Uh, you know compared to other things like movies and video games and you know other release schedules i think we'll be be, feeling for a while there's there's, yeah there's gonna be some delays um and then i did uh back pulp invasion which is the same guy that created pulp detective i think i talked about it on the last show a little bit um that was completely funded and i can't wait to get it and play it by myself and then play it with you the next time that we're allowed to see each other 
Yeah. Legally. <laughs> legally. It's not illegal. It's just ill-advised. <laughs> it's just frowned upon. We'll get arrested. Um, I, I fired up the Scythe Digital Edition uh, because our friend Pablo wanted to test out asynchronous play. And uh, it does work. And it is a digital edition. And I took like one turn and then closed the software and forgot about it until right now. Um, <laughs> so I do wish they had some type of push notification or something that pop up like, hey, it's your turn on on Scythe so I could go you just get an email that goes straight to junk I'm I, I'd be okay with an email that'd be fine but uh I just get I just have to remember every day to check to go upstairs boot up Scythe and check my asynchronous game multiple times <laughs> which so far I've done zero times but I'm planning I'm gonna do it after this show um you I did might- I'm gonna forget. Yeah, cookies do sound good. <laughs> now that you mention it, I've not had a cookie in weeks. Um uh, uh I did also get an actual physical board game in. Our our um oh, man. not in like I received it, but like I got to play one. Um our neighbors uh came over and we played a game of Mysterium. They're they're not really um board gamers, uh right. you know, in the the hobby sense. I guess I should say hobbyist board gamers is probably the phrase because Everyone is like, oh, yeah, I play a board game. I don't know anyone that's like, I won't play a board game. But there's that distinct line between, like, hobbyist board gamers and, like, normal humans. Right. Um, and uh, they're and normal like, yeah, humans. Yeah, I played Clue before. Yeah, well, they came over and they're like, yeah, we got Monopoly in this one escape room game. It was confusing. And they came up here and I was like, if you look beneath my slew of painted miniatures and talisman expansions, you'll find my gateway games. You know, so it was kind of that. <laughs> sort of- it's just meth. <laughs> Um, one day i imagine you're going to transfer one of your rooms into like a dungeon that's just full of board games (laughs) why does it have to why does every room have to be a dungeon whenever i redesign it it's just just who you are you know that in real life dungeons aren't an enjoyable experience people don't they're it's theme it's themed it's a theme by design they're uncomfortable Right, but this is yours is a theme. It's not like yeah, but if it's a dungeon, a real dungeon, and it's comfortable, then it's a lounge by definition. That's how that's how okay. it works. Well, I mean, but I'm talking like stone walls, chains. Okay, it's sounding uh, really uncomfortable right now. That guy from Aladdin. <laughs> that was Jafar in disguise. Right. Okay, the guy from uh, Monty Python. Okay, I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, I. Uh, I finished painting some more miniatures. I still only have like 900,000 million billion more to go. So that's Oh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's all I have left. Oh. Okay. Um and it's not a, a a board game, but it's a video game. I picked up Clubhouse games on Nintendo Switch, uh okay. which is basically a giant collection of just rights-free games. So it's got like um, you know, poker dice and chess and billiards and darts and shogi and you know, just a, it's just a bunch of those. Um, it does not have go it has this weird version of go where you're just trying to get five in a row um and i it's kind of called connect five yeah (laughs) that's you got it um but i I picked it up just because it's it's just a a neat fun collection but it also works like you can use the touch screen and my wife can play with me even though she doesn't have the game it's got this download version um so like we me and her we love mancala uh we we play that uh after dinner sometimes your adventure my my mancala evenings and uh so like we can take my switch and just lay it on the table and play mancala like just which with the touch screen and you know it's just it's just a fun uh board gamey thing you know again there's nothing incredible on it it's all games that you've seen 
prepackaged 10,000 times in those 50 and one board game collections at Target, you know. Um, right. But at the end of the day, I still like Connect Four and Chess and Mancala and, you know, so, like I enjoy those games. Right. They're good games. So, you know, uh, it's just a, a neat thing to have on my Switch to kill some time with. So I've been goofing around with that. I do want to mention something not board game related since you since no. you mentioned a video game. You're not allowed. Um, oh, it's the rules. Okay. Well, let's Sorry, let's move one. on then, everyone. Um, <laughs> no, the the one up arcades systems. Yeah. Uh, they're apparently releasing a Marvel pinball one. Mm-hmm. And I got like super excited at first, and then realized that it was just like a TV screen. Yeah. With a digital pinball on uh, it. Most. <laughs> Most um, smaller, that that's not an uncommon thing, I think is what I'm trying to say. I've seen that before with the TV screen pinball machines. Right. But um, I was like, oh, man, like a f- I'd buy like a $600, like kind of cheap, you know, yeah. pinball machine. Uh, pinball FX on the Switch with the HD rumble. That's the best pinball. That's the way to do yeah. it. I got it. I mean, I have that. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just have to save up my pennies and buy a $5,000 pinball machine. <laughs> Throw it right in the It's trash. funny that you think they're only $5,000. I find that endearing. I've, I've priced them. The new ones that they're coming out with, they just announced that new Ninja Turtles pinball that looks amazing. It starts at $9,000. Oh, my God. I played the really bad, the old Ninja Turtles pinball. Yeah. Um, The last time I was at the arcade, so seven, eight months ago. Yeah. Um, eh, Oh, man. It was the worst pinball game I've ever played. Well, thanks for tuning in to Pinball Barbarians. Uh, anyway, that's yeah. all the pinball news that has happened this year. Actually, that's all of it. <laughs> that's it. The new, the new external uh, ones. Anyway, so uh, news for our show, not pinball related. Comet uh, was funded on Kickstarter. Yeah, this by is the time a this episode comes out. A revision of Comet that's supposed to streamline yeah. some of the rules. Um, my complaint with it is that it it um. It, I don't like the art nearly as much as Old Comet, and they redesigned the art on the... A lot of the art is redesigned, and it looks much more, like, sleek and streamlined, but I liked yeah. how kind of, like, dopey Old Comet looked. It looked like <laughs> it was made in the 80s, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't really... I haven't really looked at a lot of Comet, like, the original art, so yeah. I that didn't bother me, and I almost... Uh, I thought about picking it up, and then I was just like, no, I don't need any more. Yeah, uh, so I've been w- kind of wanting Comet, and I was waiting for the Kickstarter version to see what they're going to change, and uh, I think I've decided that I'm going to pick up original Comet while it's still on the market at some point in time, because it's also like 30-40% yeah, cheaper than the Kickstarter version on like Amazon. Right now, isn't it? Yeah, it goes in and out of Amazon for under $50, uh, which... Yeah. Um, and I do love the other um, Madigo game that I've played, which is Inish. I love Inish, one of my favorites. Um, oddly enough, I don't play it nearly as much as I should to be for as much as I like it. Um, and I've not played, uh, Cyclades, but I'm, I would be excited to do so. I just don't own a copy. Although, uh, allegedly that's the weakest of the, the trilogy of, uh, of games. Um, pass on that. Yeah. Soft pass though. It's a soft pass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Comet will be done by the time this episode released, but we thought we'd, we'd go and mention it. If you probably late back it, like if you want the revised version, then you probably late back it. Um, small world of Warcraft was announced, or I guess it's small worlds of Warcraft. Yeah. Well, see, small worlds, the board game, but themed as world of Warcraft. Yeah. World of Warcraft, small world. And I don't like when they do this. They could have easily made it like Small World of Warcraft, you know, but then technically that's a new name and doesn't use both trademarked properties individually. 
It's like when yeah. they did the Total War Warhammer games. Why would you not call it Total Warhammer? It makes no sense, but it's because they're trademarked entities. Oh, so. it is a small world of Warcraft. Oh, it is? Well, yeah. just, what the heck do I know? That's great. <laughs> I just looked it up. Still to don't. I'm not in love with small world, but... Uh, Fact check. It's fun. Fact check mid-show. <laughs> Can you do up like a little uh, a little theme for the fact check? We'll just throw those in yeah, here. Yeah, it would just be me going, fact check. <laughs> uh, and then after after your verdict where you find out that I'm just basically totally making stuff up, it's like, wrong! And then like a stamping noise, like a big, like, poof, you know? Yeah, and I just put the stamp as the title of or the cover <laughs> art for the show so nobody ever listens to it because they think it's wrong. I want to bring up, um, it, at the time that this episode airs, it'll have like less than five hours left for you to get it. So if you listen to this early in the morning, whenever I release it. <laughs> then you're lucky. Go get this bundle yeah. if you haven't. But Itch.io, uh, which is a website that distributes digital games, has released a bundle called the Bundle for Racial Justice and Equality. And it's $5 for 1,637 games as of the time of this recording um man whenever i got it it was only 1400 you're still gonna get those oh okay. yeah they just keep adding to it now um the first of all by default this is the greatest game bundle that has ever been put together ever because it's five dollars for 1600 games granted you don't know more than 70 percent of what these games are yeah no there's a but there's a lot of really good ones and i've already been discovering stuff that i had no idea what it was i downloaded it and i'm like this is really fun i'm having so much fun exploring it um, but people are already working on collating all the games in there into filterable spreadsheets that you can like look at, and it, it's a yeah. it's a work in progress. But I mention it on this show because there are um, last time I checked, well over two hundred RPG or RPG related manuals. Uh, many nice. of them entire games in their own right. Like I've downloaded one that I'm very interested in that I kind of want to run called Troika, uh, which is like this weird kind of Terry Gilliam esque sci fi fantasy uh, RPG. Um, I was really, uh, I thought it was like a community Troy based <laughs> yes, RPG from that, Tro- Troy that from Ovid, the show Ovid Community. Is what it, we're all Troy. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, uh, it, if if you just like weird, goofy, like tabletop games, there's just an obscene amount of them in this bundle. In addition to an obscene amount of f- fun video games and like. Yeah art assets and just all kinds of weird th- i found like fanzines digging through it there's just so much weird crap buried in this bundle that i'm yeah, i'm just delighted I, by i did see a bunch of like rpg game assets like yeah you know, just like yeah so it, it's got tons sprites. of cool stuff but lots and lots of manuals uh uh that look really cool um some of them are expansion content for manuals that are also in there so you have the core book like they have troika and then they have spell jammer for troika inside the oh, same nice. bundle uh so uh first of all check out troika because man it's really cool looking and i'm gonna find a way to play it uh but also if you're into tabletop gaming gonna wrangle me into playing i mean for five dollars even if it's just some cool art like it's worth five (laughs) dollars and you get 1600 games it's absolute it's the most insane thing i've seen in the gaming space in decades it's nuts like you could buy this and just play them for the rest of your life and never buy anything else and be fine. I don't think that's true. I think you could. I, I would be hard pressed to say that I've played more than sixteen hundred games in my life. But maybe they're all short games. 
Some of them probably are. I don't know. But it's fun. Uh, so go get it if you can. If you uh, didn't get it, then that sucks. But go check out Troika as a consolation maybe, prize. Maybe next time. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think this is ever going to happen again. This is insane. <laughs> uh, well, let's go ahead and get into the topic at hand, which is more D&D. We're just continuing uh, from last episode. Justin loves this topic so much he wrote too many notes and I and I had to I had to cut the episode in half. Yeah, last so was, episode I was literally halfway through my notes and Andrew was like, "Well, that's it for the show." And we just stopped. <laughs> so. Yeah, we were getting a little long, long in the tooth. Long in the wet in the tooth. Little little wet teeth going on. <laughs> Um, so we, we, what where we left off, we, we kind of gave a rundown of all the, the different main editions of D and D, the big, the big hitters. Right. We um, broke it off in a good, like good break. We, we talked about all of the major editions of the yeah game. Um, and we were kind of getting into development. Um, and the, and this is really like the original D and D development because obviously D and D hasn't just evolved as as a game; it has invented its entire school of design uh, over the years. So we we could do an entire weekly ongoing podcast about design in specifically just Dungeons and Dragons, not even to mention other tabletop games. But run so, by you, where run. you do all the notes. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. tune in next week, everyone. <laughs> Um, I, I do want to start with the same disclaimer we had last month, just to really drive it home that D&D is not the only tabletop RPG out there. If you have tried D&D and you didn't love it, but you're still interested in the idea of tabletop RPGs, th- there are as many different kinds of tabletop RPGs as there are like video game genres. It's a huge wide world. Yeah. So don't... don't sci-fi, you got Vampire the Masquerade. And that's it. Those That's all those three types of... T- <laughs> You got Star Wars, Star Trek, Firefly. I mean, they're coming out with ones like I, I was. I, I was looking at one in that bundle for uh, racial justice and equality uh, list that was an RPG where you play kids. Um, it's set in like an '80s kids summer camp movie. You know those like kind of movies. That's what yeah, you're I playing. You're gonna say like kids in the hall. No, not it's kids in the hall. Um, I found some that are that are specifically like. 80s kid movie RPGs, and there are multiple of them. The Are You Afraid of the Dark RPG? <laughs> um, so there, there. If if you <laughs> if you are interested in the idea of RPGs, don't let just the fact that D and D is the big megaton superstar of the genre deter you. There's so right. much good stuff out there. So please, you're go not into high fantasy elves, orcs, that kind of stuff. There's yeah. other things for you. And at the same time, the beauty of D&D is that you can play D&D without high fantasy or elves or orcs or magic spells. You can, you you know, that that's that's yep. the beauty of tabletop RPGs is you, you, you can find a system you like and cater it to whatever you want. You can also modify D&D to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you want to be uh, New York uh, stockbrokers. <laughs> I, I can, can almost guarantee you there is already an RPG <laughs> of that. I could probably find it quickly, too. <laughs> Oh, um, no, I didn't sell it all when I wanted. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, that out of the way, I did kind of want to talk just uh, not in depth because the story of D&D's development is gargantuan in and of itself. And it feels like a story that gets bigger every time it's told and every time someone releases right. a new book or a new Wikipedia page or whatever. Um, but I just kind of wanted to mention some interesting early development stuff. Um one thing I always found interesting about 
uh, Gary Gygax is that he would cite pulp novels like Conan the Barbarian as influences for D&D and would often kind of downplay uh, influences like The Lord of the Rings um, because uh, uh, in it seems very obvious that D&D heavily influenced Lord of the Rings. And Gary maintained for many years, because you can still read his forum posts online. He was still very active in the community all the way up until his his death, um, where he was like, no, no, it was informed by the sword and sorcery genre. That was the main influence of D&D. And while I think the sword and sorcery genre really fits the tone of early editions of D&D, I mean, they got straight up hobbits in there. Right. <laughs> they just called them halflings. You halflings. know. When, where were, well, I guess, yeah. You know, and, and, and very much like Tolkien versions of elves and dwarves and, you know, that really right. are where these exist. And I guess you could make the argument that maybe Tolkien uh, influenced the sword and sorcery genre and then, you know, Gary and company took from that. But I maybe, personally think, because this this was much closer to the release of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and stuff, you know, um, yeah. there was still like a Tolkien estate you had to deal with. And there was there, you know, I think he was honestly worried about legal issues and someone being like, hey, these aren't legally distinct enough. Right. He was so adamant that it wasn't a part of it that was because of him not <laughs> wanting to be sued. And I want to say that at some point there was some legal kerfuffle specifically about um uh uh hobbits you know uh being in the game but i i don't specifically remember um but to, just to 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 you know reiterate it is heavily informed by the sword and sorcery genre gary famously um didn't he he he's cited multiple times as saying he doesn't even understand why someone would want to play something like a wizard when they could be uh, a character like conan the barbarian he right. was like, why would you want to be a dumb old wizard? And a lot of people cite that uh, as why spellcasters are kind of janky in the early versions of the game. They're, they're just difficult like to play. instantly die. Yeah, why they, they start with a, D, a D4 of hit points. How many hit points you got? A D4 minus one. Oh, it's a zero. I died before I existed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, a lot of people cite that as potential reasons why spellcasters were so jank early on in the game. Um, the magic system in D&D that was adopted and popularized by D&D was basically lifted from Jack Vance's Dying Earth series. Um, the, the whole, I read my spell and I memorize it and then I cast it and when I cast it, I forget it. Uh, that was, that was also, you know, taken from books. Uh, the alignment system was pretty much taken from Poole Anderson's Three Hearts and Three Lions, um which is uh, another seminal sword and sorcery work. And and so it, it's not that I want to be like, oh, look, they stole all this stuff. But it's interesting <laughs> to see D&D as the sum of its parts, which is a war game mixed with these like systems that they've lifted out of sword and sorcery books. I mean, you could say that he took all that information and kind of put it all into one place. Right. I don't mean to make it sound like he plagiarized it, you know. I mean, I mean at the same time, there was... Uh, uh, I don't. I'm a. I'm a semi big Disney guy. I don't think it comes up in this show that much. But no. uh, Ab Iwerks was the original inventor of Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, 
and he didn't do anything with it. He just gave it to Walt Disney and later said whenever people complained about it, um, he said it's not the person who makes it, who's who's the creator or the owner. It's the person that does something with it. Uh, and that's a debatable point to begin yeah, with. I know. <laughs> but, but, but I uh, mean, like, but it's him taking all this. It's uh, this stuff right. didn't exist together. It existed apart and he brought it all together and made uh, something with it. But I, I do think it's interesting that um, it really gives early D&D this, because D&D is so solidified and streamlined and focus tested now. It's interesting to see that the game really started as like these guys that are like, well, we like war gaming. And we also really like those Jack Vance books. So let's just smoosh them together. It really was <laughs> yeah, just, it was just a patchwork game. Yeah, it was just these dudes. They're like, I don't know. Uh, what, how do you do, how do you do magic? I don't know. I, what, how do they do it in those those books? I read we this read. book. Um, and then uh, concepts such as armor class, experience points, advancing in levels, and character classes are credited to Dave Arneson, uh, one of the other creators of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, who also created the Blackmoor setting. Which I vastly prefer to the Greyhawk setting, which kind of became the default setting for D&D until now, which is Forgotten Realms in 5th edition. Um, and, and... Sorry. Just, what? That, what? Like, I've, I've played D&D for a while, and a lot of it was Pathfinder, but I don't, I don't yeah. get into, like... I know some of the settings, because I know um, of some of mm-hmm. the, like, D&D books, but, like, you, you just mentioned, like, that and kind of went into it, and it was just, like over my head and you could have literally, <laughs> literally said anything like you'd be like yeah it's the frog uh frog spawn uh setting yeah this um, was the fart jammer setting oh <laughs> uh, you know they ran that for a couple years so i i guess i should clarify um D uh in its early versions didn't really have a setting it wasn't meant to be set in a specific world it was just right. generic like western european fantasy with some other cultural influences sprinkled in here and there um and because of that, you get weird things like how weird the monk is in context of early D&D and stuff. But later versions of the game, um, I believe starting with 3rd edition, had default settings. The game was by default taking place in the world of Greyhawk. And you could go buy a world of Greyhawk atlas and learn all about the world. So you didn't have to make your own world. It would have its own gods and its own continents and its own uh, you know, uh, uh, cities and things that you could just kind of insert your adventures into. Right. And earlier versions didn't have to spend the time to make your own. Right. And earlier versions of the game, like first and second edition, sold these campaign settings. Um they there there were they were numerous, but there wasn't one that was like, Oh, this is the default one. Well, everything takes place right. in Greyhawk, and if you wanna play in a Dragonlance setting, you go buy the Dragonlance book. Um but yeah, so uh, uh Dave Arneson also created the Blackmoor setting. An armor class before I believe before D D um was used to reference submarines i believe submarines are rated in armor classes uh and i I, this might be apocryphal but i i believe that's where they got the idea because it was from a war game which used those types of armor classes which is also why armor classes didn't work in the ascending way that we think they do now it was that weird pluses and minuses and then you invert the symbol and armor class was weird early on you mentioned the submarines, and I was like, man, now I want to play a submarine game. And then I was like, no, I don't. I just want, like, submarines with arms and legs in a fantasy setting <laughs> walking, ar- walking around. Uh, you could do that in Troika. We should play that. Yeah, I'll let you be a submarine. It, I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just be uh, anthropomorphic submarines. Um, but uh, um, 
realistically, the design of D&D and its various editions, uh, again, could really be entire episodes. It's complicated. There's a lot of strife. There's a lot of drama. Uh, there's a lot of lengthy legal battles between people. Uh, it just went on and on. Um, yeah. I, I did want to also just throw in some old school D&D tidbits. These are just interesting to me. These are things that I've learned as I've, you know, because I grew up with third edition D&D. And when I started playing older editions and exploring them, there were these weird things that I was like, that's the, I've never, I would never think of playing D&D that, that way. That's so different from the modern tabletop role-playing game mindset that it, it was fascinating to me. Um, first up, Gary was a big advocate of the judge character, the game master, making all the roles and being completely hidden from players. In, in fact, in in some, I believe it's uh, the AD&D First Edition Player's Handbook, maybe the DMG, he recommends putting yourself behind a screen entirely so that you are 100% obscured from view. <laughs> And making all of the roles. And, and at first I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But then I was imagining myself playing at a table where I'm not worried about numbers or dice. I'm just telling a story and getting a, a reaction. You know what I mean? Right. It, it really is this pure storytelling, or it seems like it would be a much more pure storytelling experience where I'm not going, oh, I rolled a 17. I'm going, oh, I want to hit that goblin. And then I just hear a guy like back there like, oh, you hit it. Like that's, I mean, like there's there's definitely an aspect of it that that has interested me in the fact that you know in real life you're not like I'm gonna jump that cavern or right. that you know that chasm. Let me roll this die. Okay, cool, I make it. Like in real life, you're like I'm gonna jump, or like you're just like I'm pretty good at jumping. I think I can make that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good it, jumper. It, it and then is, you jump, and then God tells you or whoever tells you that you die. Like, yeah, and and it is hard to get to that and because a lot of tabletop gaming is you going well i know the reality of the situation but my character knows blank and while that's a good way to play sometimes it does kind of take you out of it you know uh, and sometimes it makes you get in these situations where you're sort of intentionally putting your character in harm's way because you know information that your character wouldn't I, and it's I uh, think a lot of it is and for anybody that's starting D, &D um it has taken me <coughs> nearly 10 years to not metagame as much as I, because whenever I first started playing D&D, &D, it's all yeah. me thinking about what I know versus what my character knows and what I can get my character to do right. based on the information that I know, not what my character knows. And now I'm trying to just play the game as if I'm my character and, right, and I'm trying to go off the knowledge that my character has only. And what's interesting is that is that is a in the grand scheme of tabletop role playing games, and especially Dungeons and Dragons, that's a new idea. In the early editions of the game, a lot of characters weren't very well fleshed out, and they did rely on player knowledge. That's why you didn't have things like non weapon skills in AD and D. People were like, "Oh, my character is a blacksmith from this town, so I should know how to use a hammer because I'm a blacksmith." They they didn't yeah. do that early on because they were coming again from war games, and that leads into my next point, which is that early D and D games were often populated by tournament minded players who often did go play in actual tournaments. Um, and for people that your first thought is d tournament D&D, how the hell do you even do that? Um, it, it, they Basically, they're modules that are meant to be played in a certain number of hours. And they aren't meant to be fun. And they're not meant to be these story-filled good times. 
They're meant to be hard tournament level meat grinders that players would try to beat instead of just enjoying. Because there's this idea in tabletop gaming these days that we're all here to tell a story and have a good time. It's not about beating the game. You don't beat it. You just play it, right? Um, like Meat Boy or Dark Souls. <laughs> right, and that's how they would approach these. <laughs> and these tournament games gave us some of the most famous modules like the Tomb of Horrors and White Plume Mountain. There's an entire tournament series, and a lot of the early modules in AD&D were just tournament modules that they converted. And so a lot of times when people explore older D&D, they want to play these famous modules like Tomb of Horrors. Tomb of Horrors yeah. was meant to murder people. It was not meant to be like, oh, I had so much fun doing that. It was supposed to be like nerve-wracking meat grinder that you're struggling to figure out. That's what it was I'm, supposed to be. I made a Tomb of Horrors once in, in The Sims. Oh, you did? <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> um, it also wasn't, and this is kind of um, odd these days, but it wasn't uncommon for a player to have multiple characters and even play them at the same time. Uh, the whole a standard group of adventurers is four to six players didn't really become a thing until later editions. Uh, because death came so quickly in early editions of the game, early groups of players were comparatively huge with lots of hirelings and servants rounding out the large groups. So the same way you might do it in real life, instead of going, I'm going to venture to this tomb and fight a demon, you go, I'm going <laughs> to find 30 guys to go with me and put them in front of me and then go fight this demon. And that then, was your explanation to me for uh, second edition. Yeah, yeah. And so w whenever like your character would die, you'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to play my guy that takes care of my horses now. I'm going to level them up to a fighter. And they're, you know, uh, so it, it, people were less attached to their single character. You know, it was just less story driven in that time. I mean, you did that, but I remember like, uh, so I had my character that I made and you're like, yeah, you just get hirelings and you make the hirelings go in front of you and you paid them to basically be like cannon fodder. <laughs> right. And I think at one point I like kicked a guy into a room just to see if it would set up a trap <laughs> and kill him. That is an expensive uh, way to check for traps. <laughs> Those guys don't come cheap. Yeah, no, I was, I was fine. I was fine. Uh, and then the, my final last tidbit, and then I'll, I'll, I'll quit just gushing about stuff. Um, TSR couldn't afford art for a long time in early AD&D and would basically pay anyone any amount of money for art when making their early stuff. And a lot of the art is just straight up ripped off. They'd pay this, like, oh, my cousin will draw a picture of a dragon for $30. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> and and this is why the really early art, like 1977 and prior art, looks so inconsistent and dopey. Like the original Monster Manual cover, it looks dumb. It's dumb looking. I oh, love it. it. I love it, but it's real dumb. Yeah, it looks like a bunch of kids got together and like, <laughs> drew it. It's it's especially the purple worm on the back. I can't believe that one made it past editing. There's like a brownie <laughs> coming up to fight him, and he just looks like, <laughs> like he's so the dopiest looking worm. Oh, um, and I do want to recommend. I think I recommended it last episode, but if you really want to dig into the history of D and D, the development, um, there's a book called Art and Arcana, and it's like thirty dollars on Amazon for this huge mongus hardcover coffee table book that's just literally the entire history of D&D in detail with like early prototype pictures and art and examples uh, it's amazing it's an amazing read even if you don't play the game but you just like game design history uh, I highly recommend it and that's where a lot of my information comes from yeah I know you've you've suggested it to me multiple times I just don't oh, I mean I good. like the the art from some of the older books that I've seen like at your house yeah 
but I don't like I've got several like coffee table art books that I just mm-hmm. don't ever That's so ever look at. Andrew, enjoy some art. I have a hard time with art. I, I bought it just for the art because some of the D and D art is some of my favorite stuff. Um, but I ended up really enjoying reading it because it's just a lot of stuff I did not know about D and D and it's super interesting yeah. stuff. I mean, I bought like the NES and SNES books that came out around the same time that the mini mini consoles came out. Yeah, I bought those two. Uh, and I like bought them and like opened them up and just like flipped through it real quick and was like, now I own this and like put it on the bookshelf. <laughs> I'm a collector. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I said out loud in that voice. <laughs> um, I think we're going to, we'll go ahead and get into D&D versions, recommend, recommendations that we have. Um, and it, and I, I always say, and I think you, you agree the, the, the best thing entry point for you to get into dnt right now is fifth edition yeah um most accessible most easily accessible rule books that you can purchase and get um i think i I don't think i've ever been to a gaming store that still doesn't have like uh third and fourth edition for the most part but fifth edition Mm -hmm. is definitely way easier to read and play oddly enough of, of all the editions and we talked about last episode why it wasn't quite so beloved but i'm seeing fourth edition becoming harder and harder to find just because nobody wants it um and so (laughs) like i I, i'm seeing like people i I check DD lots on ebay a lot because i'm that kind of person and it'll be like DD books from across all of DD history you know these big lots of some dude that collected for years and he's selling it um and they're always missing fourth edition entirely. There's like no fourth edition stuff. <laughs> It'll be like D&D, AD&D, basic D&D, second, third, Pathfinder, fifth edition. Like it's just, <laughs> it just skips it. That's because one guy like bought all of them and burned them. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if, if after fifth edition came out, some, cause some stores will destroy stock of things that they're just yeah. like, it's literally worth more money as a burned pile of ash <laughs> than it is wasting away I in need, our warehouse. I need kindling at home. So. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, oddly enough, fourth edition, I, I suspect that here in like 20 years, fourth edition stuff's going to be hard to come by. That's my, that's my collector's prediction. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's not a very good I edition. Don't, I don't game. care. Yeah. I don't either. <laughs> Um, I think the hardest part about fifth edition is me wanting to buy all the dumb cards <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, uh, and they, not they, have not having a reason. It very much is a Wizards of the Coast product that they have accessorized, and they have lots of tie-ins, and you know, yeah. um, T- fifth edition official tiles that you can put on the table yeah. to put your minis on. I, I will say that uh, I, I do agree. D and D fifth edition really is the easiest version of the game to play, and more importantly than that, it is tremendously popular so if you're playing D, chances are you're playing fifth edition and you can find other people playing fifth edition um anyone looking to start with a game should start there but i do also want to mention that it's kind of this like it's this thing tech companies like apple and stuff do where they want you to get in their ecosystem they're like all right we want you to buy just our products now here's our product line and buy our stuff and right. that may be great and that may work for you um, but with D&D, there are tons of companies that make 5th edition compatible products, tiles, miniatures, entire adventures, uh, secondary uh, books that add new rules and expand the game that have no affiliation with the Wizards of the Coast. There's tons of third-party content that you absolutely should explore. 
Um, just, I, mean, I just don't want people to feel railroaded like, well, I got the D&D books, so now I got to get the D&D tiles and the D&D branded miniatures yeah. and the D&D branded dice. Like, you don't, I can't, you don't need they, to. There is, there is always at least one or two things on Kickstarter that's always 5th edition related yeah. at all times. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Whether it be modules, minis, tiles. Yeah. Um, all that said, uh, AD&D 2nd edition, if you're looking to experience old school D&D in air quotes, you have two ways to go about it. There is what's called OSR stuff, and OSR stands for Old School Revolution. And what it means is a few years ago now, um, all of a sudden, old school style D&D style games came into popularity. And a hundred of them sprung up. And it's just these games that are kind of like old D&D where, you know, the stats are kind of low and they're a little weird and, and uh, you know, people die really quickly and it's become its own genre of tabletop role-playing game. I mean, that's what we played. Right? Yeah, we played one called Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is yeah. a great one. Um, but if you really are like, no, I want to experience old school D&D at the height of its insanity... Um, I think second edition is the best place to go for that because one second edition is basically inherently compatible with first edition. Um, and second edition had the widest amount of products. You had the largest amount of campaign settings and modules and extra stuff of anywhere in D and D history. You could play everything from horror campaigns to space campaigns. And there were modules and box sets that supported it. Uh, and it's it's just nuts. If you really want to experience the wide world of crazy early D and D, I think AD and D Second Edition is probably the best way to go about that. Yeah. Um. So if you are historically minded and you want to see where D and D came from, or just want to experience some older content, there there are just there is I can't even explain to you because during Second Edition, TSR really got in trouble. And they just started putting out as much shit as they could. They're like, just put everything out. All of it, <laughs> all of the time. There was so much second edition content, which again is, for, is compatible with first edition content. So you're fine there. If you're like, I want to play Tomb of Horrors, cool. Find the first edition manual or get a reprint from DMs Guild, which we should mention, dmsguild.com. Uh, you can get... Uh, straight from Wizards of the Coast uh, uh, PDFs of every version of D&D ever made they do soft cover and hard cover reproductions of old stuff and print quality is a little shaky on it but it's all plenty good enough to play with um, so basically you have tons of options out there if, if you want to explore the old stuff it's very well preserved and, and available but 5th edition is probably the easiest entry point by a long shot I mean, I think what we're trying to say is like dip your toes in a fifth edition. If you like that, right. second and first edition are going to be like basically hard mode for that, and also yeah, uh, have have a, a wealth of information and content that you can access. Right. It's it's there's just there's so much there that it took me a long time to even be able to parse all of the different stuff and even or understand read. what it is or learn to read. That was the biggest you know yep. barrier to entry, but I got there. I made it. He did. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Um, I think we'll get into first impressions. We did have game variants, but I think that'd be yeah, game variants. Every other, other tabletop RPG in existence. <laughs> yeah, play those Let's too. Get into that. <laughs> yeah. um, we'll uh, we'll we'll get into kind of like first impressions. So I I mean, for me, D and D started meeting you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think whenever you and I first became friends is when when I actually started playing. Yeah, and I started playing with a a game uh, called Hackmaster. Yep. 
So when um, you when you came in, I had already become jaded with D and D and had been like, "What else is right. out there?" and moved on to the game Hackmaster, the 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 second edition of Hackmaster. Yeah, well, we were playing uh, Hackmaster Basic, right? The basic version of the second like edition level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And because uh, I, I remember you were like, "Hey, do you want to come play D and D with me and some friends?" And I was like, "Sure." Um, and I think I was I I became the most constant D and D friend. Yeah, most <laughs> from definitely <laughs> from there on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, we did Hackmaster. What did we do after that? We did uh, three point five Pathfinder. We did Hackmaster. We did we didn't do a ton of Pathfinder. We did a small amount. I have very few yeah. pa- Pathfinder Pathfinder books. Um. We did kind of do a lot of third edition, and we did we did a pretty good amount of fourth edition D and D as well, yeah. uh, which came out not long after that. I only, I only played two games of fourth edition. With I you. played a bunch of it, not, and not with me. No, uh, I think whenever I was in my playing lots of fourth edition phase was when you had had uh, eventually found your own group and were playing with them for an elongated period of time because you did have your own ongoing game for like two or three years that you ran. Um. Yeah, I think all in all, it started out as a five-year stint with yeah. uh, me playing in a game and then me running a game for about three, four years. Yeah, which is, that's um, the longest consecutive, that's longer than any game I've ever run. Mine hit like a year and that's about it. And that was all me coming up with content. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, man, like I worked really hard on that for like the first year. And, and then you I just started, wing it. Start winging games, man. Yep. I, I, I do think um, it, it is interesting how when you start DMing, you're very concerned with the rules and doing it right and structuring it and reading all the rule books and all of it making sense. And the longer you do it, especially if you do it with the same group and especially in the same game, eventually it, it's it's kind of like, I, ma- I imagine, I don't do stand-up, but I imagine it's, not, it's a lot like having a stand-up routine where... You know, you write your jokes and you memorize them and you have your routine, but then every time you go on stage, you're kind of doing the same song and dance, so you can sort of mix it up or play around with it or do things differently, and it's a little yeah. bit less work for that routine, you know? Well, I mean, like, I started I started winging games whenever I, I made, like, this big thing that I was going to do, this big story, and they chose a path that I had not prepared for or even thought that they would choose. Right. And I had to wing that entire game yeah. without any content prepared. And then I was just like, I'll just do this all the time. Like, why won't the trick is love, to like they loved it. Why not just do it all the time? Right. The trick is to make them think they get to choose. But they right. don't. <laughs> but I just gave them and then I just gave them the choice. Right. After that. Um, ex- except for when I gave them a wish and I forced them <laughs> to make the wish that I wanted them to make. I, I will say, um, I, and I do want to mention it for anyone that's that's um, inspired by our shows, and I hope some people are to to play D anD D or any tabletop role playing game. Um, don't be intimidated by running a game. Uh, and a lot of people talk about running. Well, I ran a game that lasted for eighteen years and it was consecutive. You know, and there's and you're like, oh my god, I could never do that. That's insane. Um, but it's a thing that you build on in tiny two and four hour increments over a long period of time. And anything that you build on a couple hours at a time for a year or two years eventually becomes a big complicated mess. It's your big complicated mess, but it's hard to explain it to someone else and then go, oh, but it's so easy, you should do it. It's not like that when you start. It's it's much easier and simpler and different, you know. But as yeah. time goes on, you eventually realize like, oh, my players never, ever 
encounter this rule, whatever rule it is, grappling. Maybe they never grapple ever. And so you forget the grappling rules. And then maybe your characters never use pole arms. So you just don't worry about pole arms and you forget about it. And you kind of settle into this groove where you understand your players and the way that they seem to want to play the game. And they understand the way that you seem to want to run it. And all of the extra stuff, because these rule systems try to include as much as they can, D&D included, so that you have all of your tools. And then eventually you realize you only use these four or five tools. So you just work yeah. on being really good at those, at least while you're with this group of people. And it's a lot less stressful. I mean, also at the same time, I think the main reason why the group that I had stayed together for so long is because <clears throat> there was not really a... We were at the end of the day, we were there to have fun. There was no like tournament, there was no like, we want this right. to be hard. We don't want, we, we just want to have fun. We so want to just hang want out. tell we a wanna, story, we want to go out. on missions. Yeah, and so there was never, uh, no one ever said it, but there was never like any threat of their characters really dying. I think one of them died once, and then I wrote like a game where they went to the underworld and like got their soul back or something like that, right. And it, so. it's it's fascinating to me how much your experiences because I started D and D when with the third edition box set and I was mm-hmm. twelve I think I was twelve so I was you 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 started running that game that you're talking about a decade later in your life than I even started playing right and my early games sound very identical to your early games and it, <laughs> and it is interesting because we got the third edition box set. We were instantly enthralled. I and I I would just I poured through the manuals. I love the art. I spent all of my birthday and Christmas money on D and D supplies. Like for years, it was like, oh, I got two hundred bucks for Christmas. I'm gonna buy two hundred dollars worth of D and D manuals, whether I need them or not. I don't care which ones they are. I'm just gonna fucking buy them. Fifty dollars a pop down at Barnes and Noble. Cool. Let's go. Um, but our early games were just kind of us making stuff up as we went and goofing off and having a good time and nobody was like well uh if you look at the statistical curve of this uh monster you've created what's it called a butt beast uh then i think (laughs) what you'll notice is that higher at higher levels the bell curve tends to taper off so what you really want to do is alter his charisma stat like we didn't we didn't fucking care the curve of the butt beast (laughs) we just we just made it up. We're just like, it's a butt beast and he, he shoots farts out his mouth. And then someone would be like, that's just a burp. And you'd be like, no, it smells way worse. Like it's that's, a butthole for a mouth. That's what our games were. But it, it became such an outlet for uh, being social with one another and being creative with one another and collaborating together. And it kept us indoors and drug-free and safe for many years, you know. Um, and, and we did a lot of math. And a lot of reading and a lot of writing. And, and uh, um, our early games were very much like yours. And, and, but by the time you and I started playing together, I had already gotten jaded and been like looking at numbers and stat blocks and statistics. And, and, and I'd gotten into this trap of like trying to find... Could, go ahead. I could tell you were jaded the first time that <laughs> we played a game where you were a player. Because I think the first game we played, you DM most of them. Yeah. And then I think um, one of our one of our fellow players wanted to DM one, um, and so the first game that I played with you, where you were not the DM, uh, you were a wizard or a battle mage. Or I feel like, like you're that. about to tell a story that I'm going to be so embarrassed and and upset by. 
<laughs> I feel like it's it's like here's how you were a jerk in this game. Like, I mean, you I feel weren't like a jerk to like me or anyone. You just like you walked into a store and you asked for like uh, you asked for something, and the guy was like, "Oh, it's this price," and you're like, "Well, I'm only gonna pay for this for it." And our DM was like, "Well, he's not gonna sell it to you for that." And um, and then I think you sold something to him, and he gave you a much lower price than what it was worth. So you walked out of the building and then you cast fireball on the building and you walked away. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair. And you're like, I'm kind of good. I can do it. I can do whatever I want. I will say that um, uh, that was an asshole move. And we've all had (laughs) moments in D&D where we were assholes. That's not, we've all done it. Um, I should not have done that. I don't even remember doing that if I'm being honest with you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you did it. Man, that's Walked I'm not that I'm building. not an ass player like that still, am I? I hope not. I hope I've I, evolved a little bit. No, I mean like we've only in our new group we've only played with you playing once. You've DM mm-hmm. most of them. Yeah. Um and you didn't act like that, but there also wasn't like an opportunity for you to do that. <laughs> yeah. I guess that I did pester it that one just, NPC a lot, a whole lot. You yeah, you did you did upset <laughs> upset me. <laughs> But um, I, I I do in in it just gets back to the point where where tabletop RPGs and D and D are are I I think sometimes they become ways for us to test social boundaries in safe ways you know and I don't mean that yeah. you're the guy where you're just like well that's what my character would do so I'm gonna continue being a jerk to you like that's not valid <laughs> you know uh but but sometimes uh, especially when we're younger and when I played as a kid it was it was a way to test social boundaries in in ways right. that I couldn't in real life or probably shouldn't. In real life, like setting fires to establishments that don't. Yeah, like arson. Right yeah, on. most definitely. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I don't even think the DM did anything about it. It's just like like the the town guard showed up and they're like, "I guess this building's on fire." It's you know, um, and I I'm I'm uh, it was so God, that that had to have been what like ten years ago now. Yeah, like, I could I could not even tell you what was running through my head. Um. Maybe I was just having a bad night. We've all had, we've all, when you play tabletop games long enough, eventually you have that one time where you're like, dude, so-and-so is clearly having a bad night and should have just not come. (laughs) You know, it happens. I I think it's just uh, really a lot of like the original D&D stuff that that we did kind of sits, there are moments obviously that like sit with me. Like the first time I DM'd and our game was ruined. <laughs> um, which was again ruined by a bad player acting badly, you know. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, th- this is what I wanted to say for anyone that hasn't DM'd yet and they're going to DM. Um, if anyone tries to break your game, which there are a lot of players out there that do try to break the rules or bend the rules yeah. or break the system, um, if anyone is trying to do that, as the DM, you are well within your rights to just kill them. <laughs> Somehow. Well, you're well within your eyes to just stop them and say, hey, you know, can you stop playing in a way where I'm your nemesis? Because that's not how you should play. And I will say, I've seen, um, because we we all used to play this way. It's us versus the DM. We got to stop him, you know. Yeah. We got to disrupt his plans. We got to win D&D. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, we, we're going to do it by shooting fireballs at all the wizard shops. <laughs> and, and so, but that that is a wrong way to go about it. Um but I do feel like there's kind of been this uptick of that mentality with 5th edition because 5th edition um, uh, Adventurers League is big, which are basically sanctioned games that are played at stores. Um, mm-hmm. 
and it's kind of created not a tournament scene, but like more of a competitive mindset than had existed, at least in my experience in the tabletop world in years. And you get a lot of people that are like, well, if you do this and this and this, then you get 15 attacks per turn and you're unstoppable because the game is broken. And in my head, I'm like, well, if I was your DM, I'd just say, no, I'm going to change that rule so you can't do that because that seems like cheating. Yeah. And there are some people out there that will get mad about that. They'll be like, well, it's in the book because they're used to this, you know, competitive minded by the book D&D. And I, I personally think that kind of thing goes against the spirit of the game. But at the end of the day, however you and your friends enjoy playing the game, do it. Do that. I, I, if, if, if what you get out of it is like, no, I cited the rule, and so now I get to be the DM, and all the other characters <laughs> die. I have defeated like, you. As long as you're having fun, you're doing it right. It doesn't matter. And as long as you're not hopefully hurting someone else's fun God, at the table. What a crappy competitive version of D that would be. <laughs> I, I've bested you in the rules. It is my turn to DM. All right, you all instantly die. <laughs> Thank you for coming I, to my game. <laughs> I mean, I've I've had the I've had the the bad DM experience because I have played with other people. Uh, yeah. Justin, luckily, is a is a fairly good DM and is very patient whenever someone's like, "Well, according to the rules here, blah blah blah," <laughs> and then Justin's just like, "Yeah, but we're gonna do it this way," and then yeah. you just go, oh, "Okay." Um, but I've had people that do like weird stuff where they're like. I've had a DM get fed up with everyone at the table and just go, a blue dragon appears and kills all of you. Yeah. Roll new characters and run a different game next time. See you guys later. Like, Some Sometimes you take your real world battles into the game and it's just a nature of any, uh, and I feel like being a tabletop gaming podcast, you know, anybody that plays board games or anything, you've all had that guy that like wouldn't trade with you in Catan because three games ago he fucking blocked you in a game of Carcassonne, you know? <laughs> and you're like, dude, don't bring that baggage into this. This is totally unrelated, you know? Yeah. Uh, so get over it. it. It's it's just a thing that happens. And sometimes in D&D, it, it can be more of a bummer because you've got these characters and these things that you've worked on for hours and weeks and months and maybe years and some guy comes in and is like hey i want to come play okay cool i'm here i stab you in the face and your character you've been playing for three years dies and any good dm would be like no they don't you can go home thank you for being a jerk <laughs> give me a roll Not but failed it's still stab discouraging it's still discouraging to have that moment where you're like oh man you know that's that yeah. sucks um, um but yeah what uh what problems would you say there are with the game it that that that's a very hard question for me to answer. Um, most of my gripes with D and D as a whole um, come down to version complaints. Like I like this better in this version, and this better in this version of the game. But yeah. to, it, it's difficult to even critique D and D as a whole because it's just such a big part of my life. Um, if I were to kind of critique a not not like a modern rule or anything, but like a modern mindset that has kind of become commonplace in the game. I don't love the hero syndromes that D&D kind of uh, likes to use these days. Um, right. In, in my personal experience, the characters I've had the most fun with, the most enjoyment with, the most interesting games with have been ones that were randomly created that I then became attached to. Um, 
And that's just my style. If you're out there like, no, every character I have is Driz Doerden and he's got two swords and they have names and he's a dark elf and he's he's his parents, he's an orphan, then and that's what you like, that's fine. But I like the the kind of lower fantasy fun of like, I'm just a dude from this town called Butt Town and I know how to use a pitchfork and then I ascend to becoming a hero or more likely die horribly along the way. Um, and I mean, I understand that. I understand both the because I've played the, in the the game, the long game that I played over years. The group that I was with, their their characters grew from level one to I think they got to level twenty right at one point. Um, and as a DM, like we were playing Pathfinder, and then I think we got into fifth edition, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um. God. there's there's nowhere to go <laughs> yeah like w- once you're once you're once your players basically become gods like there's it's very difficult to like what what i've learned dming and playing for a long time and it, it may just be me being selfish is that whenever i'm when my characters the the characters in my games when they're safe and they can't die it's no longer fun nobody wants to be a part of a story with no stakes like if you know you're going to be fine, it's not enjoyable. Yeah. You know, and to use very specific examples, like we're currently playing a Deadlands game, which is a weird west tabletop game that's like it's like the movie Wild Wild West but like with more ghosts. Right. Um and I have been as time goes on substantially cranking up the difficulty on stuff just because for a while there there was no challenge, you know, and as a DM me running a game that's less fun when I'm like, oh, they're literally going to have no challenges ever because it, it, it makes it feel like it's not unearned. But I, I, I think it's just more that something you f- have to fight harder for and struggle harder for is just a little sweeter in, you know. I mean, to be fair, the like second game that we played, you blew my arm off or my arm <laughs> got blown off. You didn't uh, do it. On no, purpose. a man with a stick of dynamite did that. Andrew. Yeah. I have no my- idea. I have no affiliation. And since my arm's been blown off, I've been constantly afraid that I'm going to die every single game that we play. <laughs> Perfect. So that, I've done my job. that makes you feel better. Yeah. Um, so I don't know I, about any of the other players. but um, I, I do think it's it's easy, especially early on in the game, because what you like to do is feel powerful. You want to make these big, powerful, named characters that last for many campaigns. But eventually you realize that, um, and I guess this is a critique of D&D that I have, is that there's not a lot of good high-level content for D&D, especially recent stuff. Because the majority of players are playing low-level content. I mean, the vast majority. And by the time you make it to high levels, your DM is probably making their own content. Yeah. And what I like to do, and the older I've gotten, I used to have this thing in my head where I was like, well, you got to earn your levels. You can't play a level four character if you didn't play a level one through three character first. got to earn it. Now in my head, that's silly. That's a silly, arbitrary line. Like, if we want to run a high-level game tomorrow, cool, roll up some level 15 characters. Let's go freaking nuts for a few months. You know, what's the harm? Like, literally, it's a number you wrote down on a piece of paper. Does it really matter how you put it there? Or, the you know? Right. Gotta earn it, man. So I would encourage anyone to, you know, if you're playing D&D and you're like, Let's, I, I just wish my dude was cooler. Maybe you do want a hero. You want a guy, a big tough guy with like his own castle and his own entourage and like a million swords that all talk to him or whatever. Then do that. Make a level 15 character and, and have, you know, run that. That sounds fun. 
I, I don't know that I'd play it every week because what the heck's he even going to fight? But, you know. <laughs> did, did I ever tell you how I ended, like, the the 20 level characters because we quit at we quit those characters at one point yeah made new you went the, you went the ascension route right they became gods yeah like i yeah. made them i told them they had to sacrifice themselves to become gods so that way we could just re-roll characters and start like from like level yeah. five and like <laughs> which is not an uncommon thing in early DD. a lot of the early DD characters when you when you play DD long enough you start seeing multiple names largely wizard names like bigby and tensor and morden kaiden these are all yeah. wizards that are from the, the, you know, like Gary's early D&D games, you know, that played for a long time and eventually they retired these characters. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like um, there's this drive to like, well, you got to earn it. And when you go to play an Adventurers League, you, you can't just show up with a level five character. They're going to be like, well, where's your game log so we can see that you've earned these levels and I do again. Oh, I, man. I you gotta have a game log. Yeah, you have to log your games. And th honestly, they're pretty lax about it. It'd be pretty easy to cheat at because it's just literally a sheet of paper you wrote stuff on. There's no verification process. <laughs> I went to game one, and then I went to game two, and, and I went to game three. But I, I do. For me, that goes against the spirit of the game that I love, um, where you do get to do anything or be anyone or go anywhere or be any level. If you're playing low level and you're like, man, this sucks. We keep dying. Can we play higher level? Yeah, do it. Have fun. Why not? Um, I think uh, my my problems with the game, which I guess shows kind of our different uh, thoughts about it, is, is mostly like social issues because I have yeah. played with, a, with several different groups and several different people. You've probably and, played with more different groups than I have, honestly. I mean, I think I've played like four groups total ever. Maybe, maybe five. Maybe. Well, there. Okay, maybe I, mean, I have I've, played I've, with more, but still. It's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've done like a bunch of like one one shot groups. Yeah, not where we're playing a one shot, but where we start a game and then it falls apart. And then yeah, and no one's schedule works. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I've done that a lot, but and I think that's the hardest part is my problem with the game is it's for one difficult to get it set up and running and, and continuing. Um. And two divisions happen in the group pretty easily if if people are not um communicating amicable or you know oh, if, they, yeah. if they don't like if they don't like each if other if they're not or, trying to be part of the group right if they're just like well i want to do this and nobody else wants to do that then i'm gonna leave like mm -hmm. first off cool just go but second like we've all spent time not just you putting this thing together yeah it's the social contract um, of of D, D. yeah and, and i think that's the hard part is that getting that social contract and getting people that actually want to spend time together and i think that's the reason why the group that i was with so long stayed together is because it was we used it as an excuse to hang out right right um, and that's that's at the end of the day what it was we weren't there to really play D, &D. we were there to hang out with each other and we couldn't come up with another reason for all like five of us to get together than to be like well we're playing D. &D. I will say, and this is one of the most enlightening things that I've heard from uh, uh, in regards to Dungeons and Dragons in many years. There's a YouTuber, his name's Matt Colville. Uh, he puts out really good D and D content, really cool stuff. Uh, he's got a really cool uh, book out that he that he did to add um, stronghold rules to Fifth Edition D and D, where you build your own castle and maintain that. Nice. Um, so free plug for him, I guess. <laughs> but. <laughs> Not what, affiliate. He's not paying us. He's not. No, he's not. Uh, but Matt, if you want to, you know, I mean, reach out. But he he <laughs> he said in one of his, he has this series called Running the Game, which I highly, highly recommend. 
to any new DMs, go watch Matt Colville's running the game series. He's 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 very insightful. But at one point he said, "Hey, not every game is for every player." Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with someone recognizing that either they or someone else is not a good fit for that group. And it's not meant to hurt anyone's feelings or to be rude to them or say you don't want to be friends to just be like, hey, I think we're trying to play a different kind of D&D with a different vibe than what you're bringing to the table. And I, I think it struck me so hard because at the time in our own group, we had people that um, I, I was I had that with. I had been having these ongoing struggles where week after week I was like, man, how do I make the game more to your liking? How do I tailor things to you more? How do I how do I kind of change things to to fit you better? And it was this back and forth until finally he said that and I realized that I like this guy as a person. We're still friends. I don't want to get in a fight or anything like that, but I I don't think they're a right fit for the type of game I want to run. Yeah. And at the I, you know, at the end of the day, that's okay. And it's okay to just be like, look, this isn't a great fit. We're gonna move on, you know, and still play games. Do a play a different game, do something else. Maybe they're just not in the D and D group, but they're still your friend. And I, I do want to stress there's nothing wrong with talking to a friend and nicely saying, Hey, I think you're kind of trying to play a different style of D D than we are. Maybe you're all just talking and like having a good time and, and then you're over there like, Well, okay, well, I'm gonna make a plus four charisma check, and then I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna use my my triple feats that I took because I min-maxed my character to this level. And that's just very different from the story-driven type of D D the rest of the people are playing. You know, that's okay. Right. I think um at the the thing that was most telling about what we're doing right now is when I was super nice to one of the uh um npcs mm -hmm. and you were like so thrown off from it that you didn't know how to respond because <laughs> everybody's usually like well fuck you guy like yeah wait wait, wait. Of, i was trying to be super nice to get out of being arrested and yeah you were like well thanks for being nice to me goodbye <laughs> <laughs> i don't really know how to respond to that <laughs> so i'm just gonna continue being angry uh yeah, yeah and and so uh, um there are so many different ways to play D and D, I, and I I do feel like in modern years things like Critical Role and stuff have become popular, and I think we mentioned it last episode. And it kind of creates this vibe of like, well, you should play the way these professional D and D players play because it's a thing now. There's professional D and D players, and that's insane right. and wonderful. But the same way, I'm not gonna make my backyard football game look like the NFL. You probably don't need to make your D&D game look like uh, Matt Colville's game or Critical Role's game or anyone no. else's game. It should look like your game and what you want it to look like and, and you know, be the kind of fun that you want to have. And if that's literally 100% different than anything they do, that's still okay. And that's still within the, the terms of the game. Yeah. I will say that uh, before we kind of close things out, I, I do, I, I have always wanted to, because you've also come to me a lot and said like, hey, are you having fun doing this? Like, yeah. what can I change? What can I do to make things more enjoyable? Yeah. And I think f for me, I mean, there's obviously some things that it's like, well, I don't like, personally don't like doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I also, I think one of the things that I like playing tabletop role-playing games with you mm -hmm. is I like to experience new things and learn how to play like you know when we played dungeon crawl classic that was not fun for me to begin with 
mm-hmm. because it is just like you're there's a, a hard farmer. transition for you. It's a very yeah. different type of game than you normally like to play. Yeah, for sure. You're a farmer and you have a, a sword, but you're not good at it. You're a farmer, Harry. <laughs> or you're what was I a grave digger and I yeah so shovels with DCC your character would die frequently and then you would just literally like roll on a table and be like now I'm a chicken farmer with a knife and a candle and then and I'm like okay here's an interdimensional demon like, <laughs> yeah we definitely had like the one guy that we wanted to survive and as far as I remember he did survive was that Torb thing. yeah Torb the Torb Torb shovelman. Torb shovelman he did make it yeah. He did make it through the whole thing. But I did also have like a bunch of characters that I was just like, and I kill him. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> it's just, a, it was really different. It's very different from yeah. modern D&D for sure. Because we came from a fifth edition campaign into that. And So and, I, I like learning. I like having those other experiences. And I think that's like, when, when you ask me like, what do I, what could make it more enjoyable? And I think I'm getting into my like, tabletop role-playing experience where I'm like, well, I don't necessarily want it to be 100% enjoyable. I want it to be like an experience that's different from what I've done before. Right. You you want to experience the game system as much as you're right. experiencing the Even if it's like punishingly difficult and I'm like, I just want to like cut my own right. head off. Like, But I do also, I also think we've reached a point kind of collectively just as grown adults playing the game that anytime we're doing something we don't like, we'll just be like, yeah, I don't like it. Let's move on. Let's do something else, you know. Uh, and and so I don't think there's anything wrong with that to, to just be like, I don't like this module. Can you just uh, shortcut us? Uh, can you just tell us what happens? Can we just play something else? Can we, you know, yeah, like. I think that was the best part is when you were like, do you just guys, do you guys want to hint? And we're like, yes, please. <laughs> and you're like, all right. And, and again, it's not against the spirit of the game because the game is what you want it to be. You know, D&D, like every other paper tabletop falls RPG. falls on the floor and it has a hint on it. <laughs> I, I remember when I was younger, I was playing a game. I, when I was a teenager, um, I we played games that were so big that they had to have two DMs. So we'd have like. 10 person games and we would have a dm and a co-dm Jeez. and it was just to handle all of the the paperwork it, it was like you had to hire an accountant assistant to the dm yeah assistant to the dm they had a little card made up a little placard <laughs> and uh, i was playing a game and i had to have been a 10 or 12 person game we had two dms and yeah, that upsets me there was never a dnd episode of the office now someone someone could not figure something out and finally I morphed a tree into a treant and had them scream it at the person. And we, and because we would do these games, there are these massive games, and we would play for days and days and days, and we would just all like sleep on the floor at my house and just play D&D for days. Um, and so we were probably, you know, like our, in our 15th consecutive hour of Dungeons and Dragons, you know. Jeez. And uh, I, I had this tree like scream the answer to a puzzle at someone. Like that's how frustrated I got. You know, I could I could not imagine sleeping on the floor now. Oh no, yeah, I thought you were gonna say D and D games that big, but I'm with you on the sleeping on the floor thing. That fuck that. That's no, I could do a D and D game. If I even days, sleep without fluffing my pillow properly, I can't walk the next day. I'm just like yeah. fucked. <laughs> I have a. I, <laughs> I have like an all foam, like mat- memory foam mattress. And yeah. Anytime I go to like a relative's house and they've got like a regular spring bread bed, like my chest hurts. Like I feel like I'm going to die the next day. It's like sleeping on Satan's ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll wrap things up. Where, where can we buy? You already mentioned the DMD's DMs D- Guild. DMs Guild. If you're looking for D&D print, print content, DMs Guild is the best place. Obviously, you can still find like anything in print, like 4th edition or 5th edition is still in print. You can go buy it at your local bookstore or whatever. Um, DMs Guild, uh, you can buy PDFs, hardcover, softcover reprints of 
the majority of old D&D stuff. The vast majority. Yeah, you can usually find most of the 5th edition stuff at any comic book store. I, I wouldn't be shocked shop. if most Walmarts didn't carry the core rule books, <laughs> at least for d and I'm, I'm being, not even being facetious. And of course, you can get it online, but if you do have a local game store, we do always advocate to support them first if they're not outrageously overpriced. Yeah, if they are, if they have demonstrated that they deserve your business, then do please try to give them your business. You know, yeah. not every local game, not all game stores are created equal, yeah. but uh, the good ones really deserve to uh, still be out there doing what they do. So please. Well, cool. Uh, well, definitely, if you like the show, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash boardgamebarbarians. We do have an Instagram at boardgamebarbarians, which I say every episode I'm going to update, and I uh, just <laughs> not a whole lot not a whole lot going on, so I don't really like... I'm not just going to take repeated pictures of my game collection and just be like, here you go. Um, so I'll eventually update that. Um, uh, check us out on Discord. There will be a show description or a link in the show description um, to join the Discord if you want to come and t- chat with us. Talk yeah. about D, talk about board games, talk about anything really. It doesn't have to be board game related, but um, you can join and speak with us there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, please rate and re- review Board Game Barbarians on iTunes. It really does help a lot to uh, kind of get us up there in the ratings and it's literally the only thing that helps podcasts rise in ratings for people that yeah. don't know there's there we don't have a great uh, a great magical algorithm like youtube that like fancifully filters things they're just like <laughs> how many stars you got okay like there's no that's yep. <laughs> many stars um yeah. but yeah uh and as always remember what is best in life justin board games and well i mean board also games. also dungeons uh, and dragons and tabletop uh, tabletop games. Role-play, role-play games Tabletop things. Good night. Good night.